passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the post-wrestling site. A-E-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. I'm John Pollock, alongside Wei Ting. Wednesday, April 21st. Hello, Wei. John, how are you doing? Is it Earth Day? I think so. Shout out, Earth. Partially my favorite planet, so. Partially? What do you mean? I I was going to say I'm partial to it uh, being my favorite planet, but I got ahead of myself there. I don't want to discriminate against others because I don't have a reasonable comparison point, but I'm, I guess, my limited scope of my my galaxy that I've traveled to, Earth is what I'm limited to. So I hope this uh, planet sticks around for at least my lifetime. It's the best one to live on um, so far. So far. Moment. So yeah. far. Well, that's great. Um, maybe we should do this show in the dark or something. Uh, not exactly the most uh, limited use of uh, electricity and energy going on in this room. But nonetheless, I'm here on my laptop with my microphone, camera, lights, and I've got my phone charging. So I am celebrating in grand fashion. You could be energy conscious while still doing these things. You know, like you're not, you don't, you're not leaving your engine running while you're um, doing this podcast. You don't um, think. Got the car running, dude. I'm going out after. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I mean, we are pretty reliant on, I guess, lights and power to... You could switch to solar, I suppose, to power your own house. I don't know how well, much... Well, we, we learned the other day that our country is extremely uh, dependent upon Rogers uh, and software updates that might take the whole network down for a day. I think Rogers was just celebrating Earth Day a few days ahead. <laughs> I had no problem with it, to be honest. Yeah. It's kind of nice to go out and realize that uh, there, there's limited uh, connection that I have now. Well, I'm not on Rogers, so I didn't really have that issue. But um, apparently a lot of people. Oh, yeah. My network was down. It was, it was down all day. It was not the it was like kind of in and out. But I mean. It wasn't a giant distraction to me, but I can imagine others. I mean, for some, it's if you're reliant on your wireless network, I guess that could be uh, problematic, but I, I didn't have any issues. What what I would have loved to have seen is like a documentary following the social media team at Rogers throughout the day just to see <laughs> what was going on. Like the, it all falls on whoever is in charge of that Twitter account, some poor intern having to field millions of complaints. 
That's the Twitter thread I want from the from the lowly Rogers employee behind the uh, oopsie moment that led to an uh, entire network going down. I mean, I'm sure there's a great story behind it uh, that is probably going to result in many people losing their jobs as a result. But hey, you got to be able to look at things like that and be able to get some enjoyment out of it. I guess it's it's a nice reminder that you know, uh, despite us being in a pandemic, we we still have like these sort of kind of very silly problems ultimately to still remind us about how, um, I don't know, normal things are in some ways. Yeah. And kind of when you can take a step back and realize it's, uh, you know, what, what's really a, is that a catastrophe? Like, certainly if you were someone that you're, you know, you're, you're in trouble, you're in danger and you're reliant upon your wireless network to get in contact. Of course, that's terrible. But I mean, when, t- when Twitter goes down, you'd think, like, call the National Guard, for Christ's sake. It's – what's the big deal? For most people, it's the loss of entertainment for a few hours. Uh, for some, yeah, absolutely, it can be very serious. But I would say the majority of, of the complainers are, are more so just annoyed at the lack of um, uh, TikTok <laughs> updates. or like... When's the last time your power went out? Do you remember the last time your power went out? Has it happened in your new place? You know what? In the past year, it's it's hard for me to remember. Like if it, it hasn't happened it, for me, yeah, it's been pretty reliable. I think we've been pretty good. Is it strange that the next time my power goes out, it's it's a slight like enjoyment? It's okay. I'm limited now into my options. I don't. I can't do any of this other stuff. I can just do. I can do one task. I could just, it, it's, you've eliminated all my other options. So it's like, I, I've got a smaller menu to choose from. That's it's, kind of relaxing. Well, that that's not weird at all. Yeah. But you know, how long would that enjoyment last for you, John? I would say even for some people, like at the start of this pandemic, oh, okay, staying in on a weekend. Um, like some people might have actually enjoyed that. But I think for most that eventually faded, you know. Give me how a few hours. I'm good. Definitely not a problem. Hours. I could probably okay. stretch it to a day. I'd be fine. Well, you know, that's what Earth Day is for, isn't it? Yeah, well, at uh, at 10.23 p.m., it's uh, I don't know how much more we can uh, really take take charge of what this day is meant to be. I guess I'll celebrate Earth Day after we're done this show. Okay, on tonight's show, we are going to be chatting about Dynamite, uh, which was outdoors uh, with lots of electricity being utilized. And we are going to go through a bunch of news items uh, up on the site as we speak. We've got some some great shows out, including Tuesday's edition of Rewind Away uh, with uh, some notes about the future of our Patreon releases. They will still be weekly, but we're following suit with the wrestling world. We're moving to a new night, a new day, a new release date. We've lost the Tuesday Night Wars. We've lost it to... Wait, it was an invisible war, okay? Imaginary, Just yeah. All these people <laughs> that made such a big deal out of all these podcasts that are out there. I mean, it's just no one's talking about it. I mean, it, it's it's amazing when it becomes an imaginary war, when we don't own the library to monetize DVDs and a 24-7 network where we can promote it as the war, as this great time period in wrestling. But now, when there's no money to be made off of it... I mean, it's like, do you even call it a battle? Like, really, it's it's a, it was a the the Wednesday night programming decision. I blame the media. Always blame the media. Oh, are or, you, you know. pl- are you playing Dana? Are you, is that the executive you're playing? 
I'm playing every executive, trying to just kind of pass along these things. Uh, anyways, before we get to the news, which I'm sure we'll, we'll discuss a bit more about uh, Triple H's comments. Uh, yeah, Rewind Away starting... Actually, not just Rewind Away, but uh, all of our Patreon exclusives will now be released Friday morning. Tuesday nights are getting a little bit busy now with uh, NXT and everything. So rather than releasing these on Tuesdays, we are pushing them to Thursdays. So starting next week with our Creed 2 review, you can get our Patreon exclusives Friday morning. Yes, because it's content. It's all about content. We're not competing with any other podcast. We're competing with everything out there, including sleep. That's who we're in competition with. And now, and now that we have a new day to put out our patron releases, we don't have to worry about the narrative and a number that comes out. It's about creating new podcast stars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so check all of that out. Uh, rewind away. What did we talk about this Tuesday? New Japan Pro Wrestling's G1 special from San Francisco. This features Kenny Omega taking on Cody. And the culmination of the Bullet Club is fine storyline. Not only was this for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, it was for the leadership of the Bullet Club. If you can all take your minds back to 2018, which seems like a, an eternity ago when it comes to this crop of wrestlers, uh, AEW was not yet a thing. All in hadn't occurred yet. It was just Kenny Omega and the Elite at the top of the uh, New Japan heavyweight ranks. Of course, along on this show, we have Juice Robinson versus Jay White in a very well-remembered match featuring a cameo from Josh Barnett uh, in the middle of the match. Um, oh, cameo? He was all over this. Which was not really planned. Well, I mean, an in-ring cameo. Uh, and of course, Hiromu Takahashi versus Dragon Lee in a match that, you know, was actually very difficult for us to have to go back and revisit. But nonetheless, it was a part of the show. And uh, we do our best to kind of navigate, you know, what, what happened with his injury and... uh yeah, it was a pretty eventful show, well, we we have to say. So you can listen to us talk about that one. And that was selected by our executive produ- producer, Sean Levine, probably driving in a UPS truck right now. So hello, Sean. Hello, Sean, wherever you are. Um, so there you go. It was a great show. Also chatting about some of the news items from that week in July of 2018, including a, uh, an in-depth feature um, early into the, uh, just after the announcement of the WWE's new, at that time, television deals with Fox and NBC Universal. Very interesting to look back at that and the different players that were involved and how things all shook out between WWE, UFC's rights uh, that were also being negotiated at the same time. So all of that contained in this week's Rewind Away. Uh, later this week, we're going to have Brandon Thurston on the show Friday because WWE is holding their first quarter earnings call and report on Thursday evening. I hate, I hate, I hate these Thursday night, this, this shift. Five o'clock, they, they do the earnings call. They drop the report right before that. In my life, five to 8 p.m., good luck. I am just, it's impossible. Nothing, nothing I can do between five and 8 p.m. So it's a very, uh, very difficult time for WWE to meddle with my life. But thank you. Well, maybe, you know, if you decided to make an exception this year, I don't think anybody would forgive you because I've just been informed. This is breaking news, everybody. Earth Day is actually Thursday and not today. Perfect. So we did not miss it. We have a whole 24 hours of Earth Day to celebrate to come right after this podcast. So um, the world is saved. Perfect. So there you go. Um we will celebrate Earth Day by being on a earnings call 
and presenting you with the audio that you can listen to on the 23rd, maybe. If you want to just go dark yeah. all day. Yeah, recommend that. So Brandon Thurston on Friday, rewind to SmackDown. Uh, occupying the seat next to Wei Ting will be Kate from Montreal, who is back by popular demand. They will be chatting about SmackDown. And then this weekend, we've got a big, big lineup of shows. We've got the finale of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Wei Ting, along with Nate Milton and W.H. Park, will break down episode six of six, and that will be live for all patrons Saturday night, 8 Eastern, correct? Correct, yeah. Are you caught up, John? No, I'm not. I'm actually very far behind. WrestleMania really threw a wrench into my uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier viewing. So I will I will do my best to catch up, but I probably will not get caught up by the time uh, you do your show Saturday. Well, I mean, uh, I look forward to hearing your thoughts eventually. But yeah, we hope those of you who have been watching will join us Saturday evening. There's, uh, We'll be taking your calls, getting your thoughts on the series thus far, talking really anything about the MCU. The Shang-Chi trailer just, just dropped, so we'll probably talk a bit about that. Really spending a, as much time as we need to to cover everything going on with the MCU. Well, unlike um, some wrestling companies uh, here at Post Wrestling on Saturday night, it is a very real war because myself and Phil Chair Talk will be live right after the UFC card. Actually, now that I think about it, we'll be on hours after you're done your show. So there will yeah. actually be zero crossover. So we're actually really leading the audience from one show to the other. But we will be live with the UFC 261 post show. Uh, Phil and I will review the card from Jacksonville, Florida, which as I think about it now has three championship fights on the main card. So we may not be live till into the early hours of Sunday morning. Then we've also got the reunion of Nate Milton and Brian Mann on this weekend's Rocky Maivia Picture Show as they will review The Rock's first time hosting Saturday Night Live in March of 2000 where I'm sure if we went back and looked at the, the hot takes of the day in March of 2000, there are some entertainment reporters out there who I'm sure attached their byline to the headline, where the hell is this guy ever going to go? Dwayne Johnson, question mark, exclamation point. Well, 20 years later, 21 years later, Brian and Nate will look back at The Rock, accompanied by his uh, blue tuxedo jacket on the SNL uh on his first, on the first time on the stage hosting SNL. Did he go by Dwayne Johnson or was he still just The Rock exclusively? I, he was definitely promoted as The Rock. I don't know if it was Dwayne The Rock Johnson that he might have been. I think it was, it might have just been The Rock. But I'd have to double check. First name The, last name Rock. Okay. That's it. So that's coming up. And then Sunday night, we cap it off with Davey Portman and John Ceno. They will be uh, doing an Impact Rebellion post-show after uh, one of Impact's biggest pay-per-views in years with Kenny Omega defending the Impact Championship against Rich Swan, a championship that was mentioned in passing tonight. They'll also, Sino uh, and Davey Portman will also be doing a primer for Impact Wrestling. I believe that'll be released on Friday on the Up Next feed. So subscribe to that right now. You'll get last night's Up Next uh, talking about NXT. You'll get Shot in the Dark from John Sino this week. Uh, so... Yeah, shout-outs to those guys in Friday. All right, let's go over to some news items uh, from some of the top stories at postwrestling.com. We start off with television numbers, uh, beginning with Raw on Monday night. Actually, let's go in order here. From Sunday, uh, the Steve Austin documentary on A&E uh, did a million 62,000 viewers and a .38 in the demo. I believe it was uh, sixth for the night on cable. 
Uh, and then they followed it with the Most Wanted Treasures uh, special that they launched uh, in conjunction with the biography series. 766,000 viewers watching that special with a 029. Uh, 1,062,000 viewers, Way, I'm going to ask you, uh, given the, the subjects that they have announced of the eight individuals involved, uh, do you think that Austin will be the peak? Do you think that this series can top this with any of the performers still to come? So we got Dwayne Johnson, right? No, we do not have. No, he's not being profiled. He is not one of the eight. No, I find that really strange because he was interviewed. We saw him in the Stone Cold uh, episode. So who are the bigger names that are being a part Uh, of it? Let's see here. Well, they've got Brett, Sean, Booker T, Savage, Ultimate Warrior, um, Piper. Piper is is coming up this week. How many is that? Yeah. I, I'm I'm fairly certain. Yeah, there's no Dwayne Johnson one because that that would be one that you would think would be fairly big. Yeah, hard for me to see any of them matching the star power of Stone Cold. Um, they're not. And doing Mick, Mick Foley. Mick Foley was the one I didn't have in here. So Austin Savage, Piper Booker, Shawn Michaels, Brett Mick Foley, Ultimate Warrior. I, I don't think any of them will top this one. I don't think so either, unless this is just such a, um, this series just becomes really popular and gets a lot of word of mouth and press attached to it. Um, if you look at, um, uh, with Dark Side of the Ring last season, I mean, they, their biggest numbers last season were like the subjects that bookended the series. They opened big with the Benoit and they closed big with Owen Hart. But I think those are very much the strongest subjects that they had for that second season Uh, for this one. I would feel Austin is your biggest one. What's also interesting is that uh, vice is coming back with dark side of the ring starting May 6th, and they're going to run six episodes. Um, That's what they've announced so far out of the, uh, the overall season. Those are the subjects they've revealed, but we're going to get vice doing a documentary on ultimate warrior. And we're going to get a and E doing one on ultimate warrior. And they're going to air in close proximity to one another. And it's going to be fascinating to compare the two. Cool. I look forward to that. Those are the real wars, <laughs> the documentary wars, the documentary wars, cable yes. TV, wrestling documentary wars. Well, yes. there, you, there you have it. <laughs> okay. So those are the numbers from Sunday, moving on to raw on Monday night. Um, so the number I threw at you way um, as the over under was, 1,875,000, and they ended up doing just above that. 1,907,000 viewers, number one on cable, uh, down 6% in viewership. Uh, in the demo, they did a 0.61, down 10%. And if it was the third hour that pulled this number down. If you throw out the third hour, they averaged 2 million viewers over those two hours and would have done a slightly higher uh, 18 to 49 number. But again, it was it was the third hour that, that hurt this. Um, Pretty much all their all their categories were down. Uh, women 12 to 34 dropped 21% throughout the show. And in Canada, they did just over 202,000 viewers on Sportsnet 360. So I would say it was kind of like 1875 was kind of like the range of what I was expecting the fall to be. So it was a bit above that. And I think that that's ultimately, I, I think they... Yeah, it did slightly better than I expected them to, especially with a show that did not have anything anything significant advertised in advance. Um, 
It's not like Charlotte and Asuka was this match that everyone stuck around with until the end of the show. And why would you even put enough credence into what is advertised over the weekend? Because it's a coin flip if said match will even be delivered on Monday. It it continues to show to me how maybe mm, I I find it difficult to understand the correlation between quality of show and the number that they end up doing the next week because I thought the the last Monday show was just one of the worst and yet one point nearly one point nine million people decided to tune in again the next week to watch the same thing which was not all that good either so I don't know if it, it, at this point it's just about you know being creatures of habit or people maybe actually really enjoyed what they're watching. Yeah, it was interesting. Like, you could look at this as still, uh, like, riding a little bit of that post-Mania buzz, but, I mean, SmackDown didn't benefit from that on Friday. It seemed like the the buzz of Mania was over, and if there was any episode, uh, like, certainly the night after Mania has the advantage. But by Friday, uh, yes, you're that many days removed, but the two hottest matches coming off of WrestleMania were SmackDown programs that... I would have thought SmackDown would have would have benefited from that even that many days removed from Mania and didn't. They did just a normal number on Friday. NXT on Tuesday night did 841,000 viewers and a 0.23 in the demo. So they were up in both from last week, up 4% in audience, 4.5% in the demo. And I guess that you could look at this way um, that on Tuesday night, you had a lot of cable coverage after the the guilty verdict that came down for Derek Chauvin that, you know, cable news was up significantly on, on Tuesday night. But not only did it not have an impact on NXT, they actually outdid by a slight amount what last week's show did. So you could look at it two ways that um, this is still a audience that is finding the show on Tuesday nights and maybe there is some growth to it. And next week, um, do they... Is there a higher ceiling for NXT if there were people that were following the news on Tuesday that might have watched NXT as well? So it's this was a good sign for NXT, the fact they outdid last week. Yeah, very good sign. I, I think it's probably a combination of you know people recognizing the time, remembering the time a lot more this week than previous. I also don't know how much the cable news coverage might have really affected it because, I mean, you know, it was... We, we don't traditionally see it with NXT like that. It it hasn't had the impact on NXT that it did for AEW on, on nights where news coverage was heavy. And and, and I, I don't know if it was like the type of news mm, coverage that demanded your constant attention. We had resolution. It was a celebratory mood and people probably chose to move on with their day by watching... Um, Pro wrestling and enjoying their night. Did you get to see NXT? Yes, I did. Yeah. I really only want your analysis of cool Kyle. The man is trying, you know, is as much as I think we could say. And it, it, it to me, it's a reminder that, hey, NXT is there to develop somebody's talents. And I think the first night, it was, I thought, pretty bad overall. Um, but the man is trying, you know, he is trying to look for that new character. Um, we know his wrestling is just top level, top shelf. Now he is just tr trying to give equal attention to the rest of his, his, uh, his act to make it well-rounded. And uh, the man is at least trying. It is completely very, seemingly very unnatural for him to try to like play this sort of character. I don't think what we saw last night was it. Um, but it's a first step. <laughs> 
Are you trying to tell the audience that you don't like it a lot? <laughs> I did not. When I heard that, a Dumb and Dumber reference uh, in 2021, uh, I <laughs> listen. I get a kick out of it. I think it when when Kyle was when he was off TV for a while last week and or last year, and then they brought him back and he was doing the skits with the Undisputed Era. Like they were out in the limo, they were going out. Like I thought, like Kyle was starting to show like comedic elements, and it just seems they've gone so far with it now with this character of his. And I don't know how it's going to resonate with, with many people. Um, it's uh, it's got like an odd fascination to me uh, when when this guy is on because it's so bad. Like because it feels like improv night where somebody. Like, it feels like day one promo class of somebody introducing a new character, you know? And unfortunately, when somebody is in the main event spot having, you know, feeling the pressure of having to... You don't have the luxury of workshopping your your character until it's ready. So we are seeing him do that live in the main event on uh, program on, 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 this, on the show. But it, it's a reminder that, yeah, this is still developmental. I think everybody is will have plenty of patience for Kyle O'Reilly because they all want him to succeed. Night one, I don't think was a success at all. Like he, unfortunately, but you know, we will give him time um, and hopefully he finds it soon. Well, as, as somebody that, that did improv for, for several years, uh, I, I get a kick out of this. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've, I've seen many, I've seen many scenes like this. Like you see something like that and it's almost like, yeah. I do wonder if, I mean, the guy was trying too hard. He's trying too hard to be some sort of big, loud character when I do wonder, like, if he is going out there and truly, like, just being himself, how that would come across. But, you know, for many people, that's easier said than done. Not many people could just go out there and be themselves in front of a camera. And maybe being yourself is not enough in the context of a pro wrestling, you know, main eventer. Um, but it felt incredibly awkward. Um, and I'm sure he realizes that. I'm sure they realize that. So we'll see how it's workshop. I just hope that they, you know, give enough uh, time to grow. It is like, it's a stark contrast, like how this show was bookended, like this opening scene where you're trying to grow this character of Kyle O'Reilly, like the, the wild, like, I don't even know how best to describe it, but then you're also tapping into that, like the, the closing line after he beats Cameron Grimes is that he's found the killer instinct. That's what this feud with Adam Cole unlocked in Kyle O'Reilly. And it's like this dual personality he's carrying out on the show. He's got in ring. He definitely has, you know, an aggression and a killer instinct that I think works. Um, whereas, yeah, you're right. Like, I guess the character is supposed to be this, you know, kind of carefree, like badass. Like he really comes across <laughs> like the kid, like the nerdy kid in school who like, <laughs> I don't know, watched like uh happy days. It's or not something. all that different from what he was doing with Bobby Fish in Ring of Honor when they were doing like the fishbowl. And I mean, that was the joke at the time, was like they were playing Rory McDonald and Mike Ricci. I mean, that was kind of like the MMA comparison at the time that like Kyle as like he's I think a lot of people just naturally look at like the in-ring, but I mean he has been this like like kind of subtle comedic version of himself for a long time. It's just now they're, they're really dialing that up significantly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think they're trying to frame it in a way that makes him heroic and likable and cool. Uh, but 
you know, is cool something he could pull off or should he, I don't know, try something that's a bit more similar to him, but it seems like they're going, they're going to stick with cool Kyle a bit longer. Yeah. Or he eventually becomes cruel Kyle and he is, becomes the, the dark version of Kyle O'Reilly. Cruel Kyle. Okay. Maybe. What, what did you, uh, maybe let's talk about some of the other things. Um, so Ray's debut, what did you think of that? Nice match with Zoe Stark. I continue to come away like I, I think Zoe Stark's been a, a great addition. You know, a loaded women's division. She's able to uh, stand out. It was a fine debut. Um, I think obviously they have big plans for her. Uh, it was, you know, the proper introduction you want that this is someone significant to uh, have to have as the, your attention. But I will say by the end of it, like the, the angle was Tony Storm with Zoe Stark and I think I, get, I think so, Ray, by extension as well. I guess so. Like you're you're involved there with with, with her as well, so she's got that. Io Shirai is obviously sticking around, and it looks like doing mm-hmm. this program now with Frankie Monet, and then eventually building to uh, a rematch down the road with Raquel Gonzalez. And my God, are they just like telegraphing for you where this is going with Raquel and Dakota Kai? We beat the champion so bad that she needs a vacation. So I think. You know, that's uh, I don't even want to say long term story that they're going to. I think it might be shorter than we think. Probably. Yeah. And at this point, they should be, you know, hitting you over the head pretty hard with it just to whet your appetite for eventually. uh, I like how they're building all these different challenges. Like you have, you know, Io Shirai is in the background. She wants her rematch. Long term, you know, Dakota is going to have something with Raquel. You've got uh, Saray that's now in the mix. You've got Mercedes Martinez that's going to go through Dakota Kai to get to the champion. And. I they did this a lot in the early days of of TNA where you know Jeff Jarrett was your champion but you had all these different baby faces but their their goal was the NWA title and it might not be today that they're the program but you had all these different people gunning for that championship and that's somewhat what you have here where Raquel Gonzalez is the target and it's a question of like who is going to be next in line for her and lining up all these different contenders there's so many places for this division to go, and it really does continue to be one of the crowning crown jewels of the entire company. So uh, I'm really excited. I thought, you know, just going back to Saray, I thought their treatment of her, their presentation of her was really cool. Just, you know, down from like the walk from the back to like the awesome sun rising in their their open, like the 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 walkout, um, the effects and just like everything that they're, you know, doing doing to package her as what do they call it? Like goddess of the sun or something. Something and something like that, something sun related, I think is really cool. Her intensity in ring was really came across in that opening match. Um, she immediately just like has something that makes her feel unique to anybody else on this roster. And I think Zoe Stark just like continues to really impress. Um, in the short amount of time that we've had been able to see her, she like she she's really really standing out in that division. And let's not bury the lead, the highlight of the entire show. My favorite character on NXT. Cameron Grimes lost a bid on an NFT to the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, who actually like has tipped his hand and already like did an interview stating he's he's going down to NXT to work with this guy. So it would appear that DiBiase is going to at least make an appearance at some point here. Yeah, the natural, um, I guess, celebrity cameo here. Um, so that, that'll be cool. I also enjoyed Kushida's new like uh, open challenge i love the look the throwback to and the tribute to sakuraba one of his mentors 
Uh, and this open challenge, I think, is like set to really, you know, um, really be good for both him and the cruiserweight title. So I look forward to that as well. A lot of open challenges going on in wrestling. You know, it's a good gimmick. Um, it just depends, I think, how well it's done. What did you think of the way Hanzi wants us to talk about that? The way, um, um, it's I there. Hate it. I hate it. It's all not, that stuff. Yeah, like um, all the stuff with Loomis. It just feels like it. It's not what I tend to watch NXT for. I thought it was a weak match at the beginning with Loomis and LA Knight. It went way too long for me. Yeah. I thought it was a really poor way to start your show off. And then just like interjecting all the like, oh man, makeout stuff in the middle of the match is just. It just feels like not what I think the audience of NXT demands. But well, know, they're building also- to the kiss. The kiss spot is what they are building this up to, and it's just doing like the. You know, and building like Indy Hartwell and building Dexter Loomis, who they just seem to love for whatever reason. I mean, I feel like this is something that I feel like guys like Dexter Loomis are more like projects for Vince, you know, like potentially a character that Vince will love that we just have to spend some time with on NXT just to kind of get him ready to, to push up there. Um, but yeah, it's this to me is more of a main roster project than what feels like an NXT project. Okay, WrestleMania numbers. So um, this came, uh, WrestleNomics, uh, Brandon Thurston put out this uh, great report with his, uh, his award-winning graphs. Um, the Tampa Sports Authority uh, released this uh, data, um, which I, I had filed a request for myself, actually, and, and this data was sent to us as well. But um, WrestleMania this year sold 40,806 tickets over the two nights uh, for a $6.2 million gate between both nights at Raymond James Stadium. Um, Brandon broke this down in a like really great, um, easily digestible uh, piece on WrestleNomics website. But for the first night, so there were, they sold 20,172 tickets, uh, but of those that attended, it was 17,946. And for the second night, it was they sold uh, 20,634, 18,501 were actually through the turnstiles. So why the difference in those numbers of what was sold versus how many attended? Um, You know, Brandon theorized, and I would tend to agree that this was probably an event that scalpers bought, probably overbought. And there was, you know, not necessarily like that's probably your discrepancy is a lot of scalpers that that overbought and you had less attending, but nonetheless, they sold the tickets. So um, the average price of the tickets sold uh, was $190. And so between the two nights, I mean, they announced, um, you know, your 25,000 plus was what they announced. What was actually sold was 40,806, which I mean, for this year, it's like, this is a year where I, I don't think you can read too heavily into like a correlation between tickets sold with, with the product's, popularity i mean certainly if they had just completely bombed but this was far from it i mean they they sold a ton of tickets um that was there for both nights uh of what was distributed and another thing we don't know what the exact number of tickets were that were put out there um we know what was sold but forty thousand eight hundred six over two nights so there you go so they under announced what they sold no no they they announced a higher number than what they sold they announced okay, okay. Over 25,000 each night. Each night, okay. Each night, yes. Um, this Friday, uh, Daly's Place is going to have a sold-out concert with Machine Gun Kelly. 
So that's approximately 5,500 uh, seats at Daly's place. So that's that's kind of interesting. The Daly's place is holding a concert at, at full capacity this week. Yeah, it makes you wonder, like, whose call it is. I mean, maybe it's it's the promoter. Um, like, what would? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think this is like Daly's. Like, this is yeah, obviously the 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 venue working with the promoter. And I would say it, it just makes you assume that with Daly's place, like, should AEW want to take that step? Um, like, it, it seems. Well, I'm sure a lot will be learned from this Friday and how things go and what the different measures are for a concert versus a you know, a pro wrestling event, but you would think that if this goes off without a hitch on Friday, that should speed things up. You would think. I suppose so. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the situation changes all the time. More and more people are getting vaccinated. You, we hope, um, and I'm sure things are always going to be revised. I also don't see AEW being the ones to take that first step. You know, maybe it'd be a concert like this that are going to take that risk. Um, you know, any sort of like big news of people getting COVID coming out of it is going to really hurt a lot of that momentum. So we hope everybody is safe, of course. And yeah, if it's successful, maybe AEW will be thinking about doing the same in the future. Yes. Um, MLW, uh, on tonight's episode of Fusion, um, Court Bauer was on the show to make a number of announcements. The biggest being that they will return and run their first card with fans on July the 10th at the 2300 arena in Philadelphia. Uh, it was not announced what their capacity will be for that show, but what they're going to do is um, they're going to continue running fusion uh, through May the 5th. Uh, and May 5th is going to feature the middleweight title match between Leo rush and Myron Reed. And then after May 5th, that will conclude that's going to close out their season. And then they'll resume at some point, but court, did not state when they would resume probably after um, they do the show uh, July 10th and then pick up with new episodes. Um, but uh, he also did an interview with wrestling Inc stating that the vice TV deal, it'll start May the 1st, which is a Saturday and it'll start with old content from the library. Um, so that's going to be starting. And yeah, so this is, you know, a, a step forward. Uh, again, we don't know what the capacity will be like for the show in Philadelphia, but nonetheless, it's a show with fans and added that they are working with the athletic commission. And I, I don't know exactly like the specifics of like what Pennsylvania is going to require. We know in Maryland uh, who are working with ring of honor, how stringent they are. We know in New Jersey, which is where the PFL is starting this Friday, they have a, a extremely tight bubble uh, for two weeks where these fighters had to quarantine before fighting. So very, very stringent. This is not a case of like a Texas or Florida where it's pretty much just you're, you're off to the races if you're comfortable doing it. So um, that'll be interesting to see what measures um, Pennsylvania is going to be having regarding like indoor events. It's a pretty high profile event for the Northeast you know, everything has sort of somewhat been concentrated in Florida right now. But, um, you know, MLW's making a lot of, a lot of moves and getting into the news. So uh, we'll see how many people turn up for this one. Uh, and the last thing, Ronda Rousey and Travis Brown are expecting a child. Ronda announced today that she's four months pregnant due in September. Uh, so when Nick Khan did that interview two weeks ago that – uh, she would be returning at a certain point in the future. Uh, not going to be anytime soon. Yeah, no. Um, 
I guess he just was playing with our expectations. That Nick Khan. Do you, do you expect Ronda at some point back in WWE? I mean, it's really an impossible question to answer because, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I bet you she doesn't know right now what, what her future is going to be. She has much more important things uh, on um, her mind. But I think she's... she can come back for WrestleMania. You know, I don't see her doing that same year-long schedule, even appearing on no, a Raw every that, that I would be – I would not – I would throw out. I think you, you'd be looking, yeah, for like a, a special attraction match, that kind of thing. She's 34 now. Um just turned 34 in February. So, I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's certainly doable that she could um, you know, c- come back at another point in time whether you know, whether whether you're looking at a mania next year or even two years in LA. I think those would be kind of your your targets you would want to pinpoint. Do you think she ever has another MMA match? No. No, I don't. I think yeah. those those days are done. Uh, did you want to talk at all about the the Paul Levesque uh, interview? He was on the uh, the Cheap Heat podcast, and I guess what came out of this. I mean, he was largely just promoting NXT's move to Tuesday. His schedule is insane. He was talking about he's in Orlando Monday and Tuesday for the the pre production work for NXT. Then show day Wednesday and Thursday he's in the office. Then Friday he flies to SmackDown, and the, like just sounds nuts. Um, but on uh, the stuff that will get all the attention is. You know, calling uh, the NXT AEW an imaginary war, and the fact is, we're we're going against everything. We're about making stars. It's not just about the number every single week. Which I mean, what what, what more are you going to expect out of him? I don't. It's, it's been his line this entire time. You know, yeah. Well, no, we're not. Well, really he he has retired the. Uh, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a uh, well. We're we're actually competing in different track events. They're, uh, they're shot put where the 100-meter dash. It's an imaginary marathon, I guess. That's right, yes. Uh, different distances. We're not even in, we're not competing with one another. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy's not just going to come out and admit defeat or anything like that. Um, everybody this was knows the guy. The this was the guy, though, who took his opportunity to refer to the, the piss ant company. Remember that? Uh, the Hall of Fame speech? But I mean, like AEW t- has taken their shots too. You know, this was whatever. Listen, that's what like, this is, though. Gonna... Listen, like don't don't romanticize this Monday Night War. That is what you dubbed it, and like, listen, this is um, to me. It's for a lot of people. It was like fun. It was fun, and they benefited from it in some ways, right? Like, um, yeah, arguable, anyway. yeah. So anyway, let's go on to Dynamite tonight. And um, I did hear that in the States, there was at least an insert at one of the breaks for a a Rebellion ad. But uh, I did not see anything up here on on TSN. But it sounds like um, there was at least like some insert for it. But in the actual body of the programming, uh, we didn't get anything in terms of uh, beyond Don Callis' one comment uh, that Kenny will be the future Impact champion. No. No, and um, I believe Tony Khan said something about that today. Is that right? On Busted Open. Um, I'm not. I'm not aware. I didn't hear the interview. Okay, well, I believe he said something to the effect of like we. <laughs> I think he was doing it in character, where he says like he has to buy those impact ads. So okay. I guess he's expecting impact impact to do the same. Yeah, something to that effect. Gotcha. So we started off with Ricky Starks and Hangman Page with Taz on commentary and Hook was in the corner. Did you notice how Tony uh, plugged uh, Blood and Guts 
with tickets going on sale this Monday? Uh, no. How? He called it a historic one-match event. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Does that mean it's going to be one match for the show? I don't. I can't see a two-hour match, even if it is War Games. It did not sound like this was Tony off the top of his head describing it like this, and he just got, you know, his, just worded it properly. It felt like a specific description, but historic one-match event. Hmm. Like, I, I, I can't see that, that match carrying a show, but anyway, that's what it was called. Uh, early on, Starks injures his ankle, so that's, that's a focus uh, midway through the, the match. They, they tried to get over Paige's power here, including uh, this fallaway slam that he hit a regular one and then later one off the top rope and followed with a big lariat. Starks ducks a buckshot, spears him for a near fall. The dead eye gets blocked. And then Paige flips Starks over into like a bulldog choker and STS with the arm under the throat and gets the submission on Starks at 8.52. So introducing a submission uh, for Hangman Page. It was an interesting choice of a submission because Paige, I don't think, has ever won with that move. Uh, in fact, it, I associate that move with John Moxley, the bulldog yep. choke. Yep. So I don't know if it was something that was, I mean, must have been intentionally done, but it was not called, uh, uh, that attention was not called to by the announcers. And Paige is also in the midst of this thing with um, uh, um, Team Taz. So uh, nonetheless, he is the number one contender. And, you know, um, and pushing that fact hard. Like they are. Yeah. Like, maybe they're going closer with um, Hangman Page. Like, they are grooming him for a title match. Oh, for sure, yeah. But even if he is number one, that wouldn't put him in any sort of, you know, vicinity against John Moxley. You know, it would be Kenny, right? Yeah. Uh, so, either way, uh, you know, whatever. It's it's a, it's a new finisher for him. And uh, I guess, you know, they aren't really kind of drawing association between him and Kenny just yet. We... You know, imagine, I guess, Kenny will have to get through all, all this stuff with um, uh, Kingston and Moxley first before they get to the page stuff. But I thought it was a pretty good match. You know, it was, uh, you know, to me, I think they're both guys that are near the main event. Um, very complete packages, both great wrestlers, excellent characters as well. It was an interesting choice having Starks be the one to do the heel injury, though, didn't you think? Being the heel... I mean, being the heel. Yeah, but it played into the finish. I, they they made that very apparent that you know he he hooked the the injured ankle with the with the hold applied, and I mean they definitely made that a focus of the finish. Mm-hmm. Taz gets on the microphone and says he needs to watch his back as Hook chop blocks the knee, and Page tries to fight them off. Brian Cage gets involved, and we got a mention of the FTW title that most have forgotten about. And Dark Order chased them all away. Yep. We're getting closer to that hook debut on Dynamite. Uh, Yeah, I can't wait. Brandon Cutler is shooting the arrival of the Elite into their private trailer. And they would speak later. Penta versus Trent with Alex Abrahantis out with Penta. And Trent came out to the regular best friends theme. So we're we're putting we're putting the the pixies on uh, a more limited rotation. Thank goodness for that, because apparently they were all coming out to it over the past week. I mean, it was Statlander and the best friends coming out to it on Dark. So I think I think it's a bit much. So I'm glad to see the best friends come out to their old music. Uh, Trent hit this Topekan hero, and then Penta 
hops off the middle rope into a Canadian destroyer as they go to the picture-in-picture. Picture. They fight on the edge. Pence is holding on to the bottom rope, but eats a pile driver. And then Trent spears him on the floor. And Alex Abrahantis gets on the mic and says, Trent, you suck. Your friends suck. And you know who sucks the most? Your mama sucks. And this is too much for Trent, who gets a chair. And as the referee is distracted with Trent... Orange Cassidy gets in the ring, but he's laid out by Penta, and Alex hits Trent with a microphone, allowing Penta to hit the package pile driver for the victory. There was a lot going on in this match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was a very WWE style of finish. Somebody grabbing the microphone in the middle of the match and distracting somebody and then attacking them with a weapon. Um I suppose like these days, maybe the, the bar WWE setting is a lot lower because at least this match didn't end with a DQ or, or with somebody walking to the back for no reason. So I guess there's that. Or we cut but, the break and we come back and it's a tag match in progress. Yeah, we didn't have that. I thought it was a good match. I also thought it ran a bit long, but I thought the finish was pretty unsatisfying for AEW standards. No, I, th- I thought so too. It, it felt to me, yeah, there's a certain, it was a little eye rolling at, at the end. And a lot of people involved here. Jim Ross did his sit down with the, the pinnacle while Tully is at home writing up plays for Blood and Guts. And he sent MJF a new silk scarf that's identical to the old one after Jericho mocked MJF for stealing his look. It's even bigger than the old one. Oh, well, that's that's wonderful. Uh, he said he spent a lot of time, all of them. Like, we're putting over Jericho cutting one of the greatest promos of his career. But Wardlow points out that when you got to me, you started stumbling over your words. <laughs> I thought this was the best. Because he knows, once you start talking about me, you know you're in danger. So this was referring to the uh, the million dollar brain and the ten cent body. It's, um yeah, I thought it, this was... Great. You know, it was like picking on a real moment. And I thought Wardlow criticizing it came out like feeling very, he looked very confident in his delivery. I just wish like they would have played back the clip because I think unless you're you or I or like people maybe listening to these podcasts, that's every most people, (laughs) most people would not know what he was really talking about. They're not going to remember that one little kind of moment from Jericho's promo where he screwed screwed up that line about ten cent brain or whatever. I I would think anyone watching AEW knows that Rewind to Dynamite is an ancillary podcast. You think so? Well, maybe. Yeah, you might be right. Yeah. MJF cuts pretty great promo here that Jericho surrounds himself with B's so he looks like an A. You wrestle a bunch of A's so you don't look like a B. But when it comes to elevating talent, you get an F. You just wrestle guys that are already getting popular so that you can take credit for it. Kenny Omega, Cody, Paige, Moxley, Orange Cassidy, and now me. He says, I'm not just great for 25. That's horse shit. I'm great, period. When you were 25, you were curtain jerking on Worldwide. Which, to be fair, by 25, Jericho had done quite a lot from CMLL. He had been in the J-Cup. He had had his ECW time. So, I mean, he was pretty advanced at 25. He he was at a lot of places, but was he ever? He, at he was at a he was at a low level in WCW at 25. Like he had just started there, right? Um, he says MJF or MJF. He calls himself a mark, but not for Jericho. I'm a mark for your spot, and on May 5th, I'm going to take it. 
I thought MJF was was very good here. And I mean, that's really what this all was great on. FTR and Spears just, they sat there. They didn't contribute anything. Wardlow had the brief mention here about Jericho's promo, but this was largely on the back of MJF here. Yeah, we're like, you know, this is a championship boxing match, verbal boxing match between MJF and Jericho. And this was what, maybe round two, round three of it all? Um, I thought MJF was tremendous here. I do like the fact that they gave some time to Wardlow. And in fact, going forward, I hope that they continue to give more mic time to everybody else involved. It still right now feels feels very much like it's a Jericho versus MJF feud with their friends kind of tagging along. And that's what's going to sell this, of course. But um, at maybe, this maybe point, that's maybe that's double or nothing is you're going to get to the the big match with Jericho and MJF as you're looking at like, what is the strategy behind blood and guts on TV several yeah. weeks before the pay-per-view for sure. Absolutely. You know, the, the success of this really hinges on the two of them, but I think they've already done a great job of staff establishing the two of them. We know the rest of that team can talk. We know FTR can talk. Spears can probably cut a hell of a promo. So I really would like to see them round out some of those subplots between the rest of them, having FTR. And, and like, man, Santana at the uh, later on would, would do oh, just that. Yeah, we'll get into Santana. Uh, Hikaru Shida and Ty Conti for the Women's Championship. They state how Shida's been a pandemic-era champion. She really wants to defend her title in front of a packed crowd. Uh, they, maybe she should, uh, she should show up at UFC on Saturday. <laughs> on or, uh, or the Machine Gun Kelly concert. You're right. You're right. She could maybe be introduced. Yeah, stay there. This is a really nice little video, and I wish they would incorporate some some more of these Road 2 features on their shows, or at least promote their existence a little bit more to let people be aware that this is out there, because it looks like they put a lot of work into it. And, you know, unfortunately on TV, we only really get to see like 30 seconds of it before the match. The Road it, 2 was very good. So was um, the start of Dark this week. Uh, there was a really good Darby Allen promo uh, for Jungle Boy, just kind of setting the tempo that, like, Darby Allen is like would be playing like that, like the the subtle heel in the match to make it work, which was the right call, I think, to make for a Jungle Boy match. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of good content that they shoot that sometimes doesn't get uh, the attention. Well, in the event of something like this, I think only showing that stuff only only serves to heighten my interest for the match. This match I knew was happening and I was excited because, you know, I was very excited to see where Ty Conti's. Uh, what what her performance was going to be like. But I can't tell you my anticipation for it felt all that high in the week leading up to it. And that might be just be because of, I think, the lack of awareness from the previous ed- previous edition of Dynamite. I thought Conti looked great in this match. Um, she hit a series of knee strikes at the beginning to the chest, takes the arm and was trapping it. Uh, Sheeta eventually hits a brain buster on the floor, uh, but there's these running boots by Conti. And then as... Sheeta is draped on the top. Conti comes off the top with a senton to the back. Sheeta stops the DD tie and then hits a flying knee and a falcon arrow for a two count. She uh, drops Conti off her shoulders onto the top turnbuckle that she calls the witch's shot. And the only thing here is she, she took this and then immediately comes back with the tie KO for a two count. The DD tie... Like we really need some rebranding of these names. Like the Thai KO and the DD Thai, they're very tough. Yeah, it's countered. Omori driver is hit. They trade forearms, slaps, and then Sheeta hits this like roundhouse knee strike to the face, and Sheeta gets the victory. But overall, I thought like a a pretty good match here. Uh, Ty Conti um, 
continues to you know really show her improvements, but that's that's nothing new. I thought this was really good. It exceeded my expectations for these two. Uh, by far the biggest match of Ty Conti's career, the longest we've probably seen her inside the ring for a singles match, and I thought she killed it. Her sense of urgency was fantastic here. Um, it really felt like she was like very close to achieving a dream and was like almost like you know like walking a tightrope trying to get to the end but failing. Uh, she was great. Her move set is unlike anybody else's on the roster. I love mm-hmm. the way she incorporates judo into her style. I think yeah. he, she makes it work really well. Not every strike that she delivered looked perfect. There's definitely like room to improve, as there is probably for everybody. But you cannot be not impressed by her improvement and her confidence since she's joined the roster. So, you know, this run up towards the title challenge has been really good for her. Um, now is not the time to make her champion. I think it, that's too soon. Let's, you know, drag out this chase a little bit longer. But I just hope that they follow up with Ty Conti with something strong. So often they spotlight these women leading up to the title challenge. And then they're just kind of forgotten about. You don't see them for weeks afterwards. So I hope they have something planned to keep her in the spotlight. Um, and we shall see. But... You know, for Hakaru Shida, this continues to like add on to her catalog of, I think, very excellent title defenses. I can't really say, like, story wise, she's been a great presence. You know, I can't really say she's had some great storylines, but you know, the matches have always, like, they tend to deliver. Maybe Ty Conti will complement her judo with uh, some more striking, and we can introduce the Ty clinch to her arsenal of strikes. That would work better, at least, I think. That feels less of a... um, Because it's actually tie, right? It's not... Exactly. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. It's a big difference. It's like, listen, I know this stuff. Britt Baker walks out, and she just has a stare down with Sheeta, so that looks to be the direction we're going in. So, Britt Baker... um, She's She's the officially the number one contender now. This is the strategy. You have an incredible lights out match that doesn't count against your record. Therefore, it wasn't a loss. And you take all the momentum coming out of it. All she had to do was like win a few matches on dark and elevation. I feel like that's pretty easy, right? She's, like, she's definitely found a way to circumvent the, the, the system to get to a title match. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, she just had a very good run in ring. But I definitely think it's time for something new. Britt Baker is absolutely, she's been ready, I think, for this spot for a long time now. But now really, you know, again, we wait to see what sort of story they can craft between these two. You don't need much of it. It's Britt Baker going for the championship against your longtime champion. But I definitely see Baker being the one to lead the division after. Miro has still heard nothing from Kip Sabian. He needs his vindication, and he's after anyone with a title. They show a shot of Kenny with Don Callis. I don't care if you walk around with that slimy impact mouth. And then they cut to Darby. Or your emo face paint, daddy. If you have a title, I'm coming for you. Your emo emo face face paint, 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 daddy. (laughs) I don't know if there was a comma in there or just a run-on sentence. Which champion do I beat first is his question. And this this Miro is the Miro everyone wanted from, from Jump Street. I think that should be the new moniker Sting should adopt. Emo face paint daddy. It should be the the new Sting nickname that I think he should run with. That's brilliant. Yeah, Miro Miro seems to have like a lot of Scott Steiner in him, uh, but he does it in his own unique delivery. Better, like he makes sense, you know. Um, 
Scott Steiner makes sense too, I think, in his own way. Tony Schiavone brings out the inner circle. Jericho calls the fans the inner circle squad and promises one of the most violent and brutal matches ever on TNT. Not since war games when Vince Russo won the WCW title will you have seen violence like this. He calls the rest of the pinnacle mutes. And then, like, literally, I was making this note, like, in the background, like, how much Santana just stood out to me uh, among everyone in this ring. And then he takes the mic and just takes over. He says that the pinnacle, they've been name dropping. They want to wrestle the best but they wait until they have a crew before stepping to us. And that's smart. But where we come from, we call those bitch moves. And we're going to see the size of your heart on May 5th. Dude, this Santana, just the look, the, the, like his promos, the, the second he did that promo last year uh, for the eye for the eye match, um, like you could see this guy is a next level promo when given the opportunity like, I, I see big things for Santana down the road. I'm very impressed with this guy. He had a very, you know, he receives very small amounts of screen time to, to cut promos, especially when you're, if for better or worse, you know, standing next to Chris Jericho, who does most of your talking and has d- done a great job of it. But that also means that you're probably not going to get as much time as a lot of people. So he had a small amount of time here to make a statement, and he absolutely did that. He used the spotlight to his full potential. He brought, Great intensity and great logic in his lines. Calling FTR out for not attacking them until they had a crew. And then calling it a bitch move. By far the best, most natural use of the word bitch on yes. Pro Wrestling TV this week. So congrats, Santana. Take note, everybody. This is how you add bitch to your wrestling promo. He was great, and I thought he turned this thing away from comedy and made it serious, which is something that I think greatly benefited this segment because I did not like the rest of it. Yeah, Jericho thinks that MJF is still performing lines from his high school musical. He doesn't feel the words he's saying. So Jericho starts singing his own show tune about MJF, gets a swirly chant going, and says he washed his ass with the scarf that Tully gave MJF, which is not advisable in a pandemic. He says it's fun to make jokes about the pinnacle, but May 5th, will be a lesson in violence that they never forget. I'm sick of cutting promos with the pinnacle backstage. Next week, we're going to have an old-fashioned parlay. I I love the way the different ways they navigate face-to-face segments with the inner circle. This will be the latest, the parlay. Um but but I'm with you like there and this I I go back to when Jericho had the feud with with Moxley as Dean Ambrose in WWE, and I remember uh, interviewing Jericho, and he was furious about it too because you and I called this out when it happened. Was Mitch the potted plant, and it was like it was this goofy program built around this stupid potted plant until Jericho smashed this plant over Dean's head. At that point. The jokes are over. This is now a blood feud. But the announcers didn't get this memo because as Dean Ambrose is laying on the floor, probably concussed from a potted plant being broken over his head, they're laughing and making jokes about Mitch. And that's when, like, the comedy has to end. And I do think in this, like, you're, you were diving into, like, the comedic aspects. But I think at the end, he was trying to say that this is, at the end, 
going to be a violent match, but I, I, I could have done without the, the musical. Well, again, just to use the you know boxing analogy, we're in the championship rounds, and it's Jericho versus MJF. I thought MJF in his promo brought out a lot of great criticism of Jericho, real criticism of Chris Jericho. And Jericho, I thought, came out here and responded with pretty weak material. Like, it all felt like... Well, he, he got the big, like, dagger promo two week, or last week. And I wish there was more of it here. You know, instead he was relying on really just a lot of com- comedy that I just don't think is working all that well with the crowd. The pineapple, this thing is not catching on, my jerk-off friend. And then the show tune, which honestly, like... Mm, did not connect, I think, at all. Um, so it felt like MJF came out here with, like, continued to, like, come out here with, like, top-level material. Santana came out here with top-level material and, again, saved this thing. But um, I thought Jer- Jericho came out with, you know, some of the weaker stuff we've seen from him. And so I, I really hope in the weeks to come we hear more from the rest of the cast and I, well, I well, want to hear Daniels. The week to come. Next week is, is all they've got before May 5th. Mm-hmm. So next week, I, I'm sure you will get a big segment next week, this this parlay that should be like your your big closing promos from both and probably some physicality on top of it uh, to play off of the like the backstage brawl that they had of kind of set, setting the table for the next week. So I imagine we're going to get a really big segment next week to drive that home. Uh, Billy Gunn, who's back to being Billy Gunn versus QT Marshall. So we can uh, keep the name now? I guess so. I mean, for the longest time, he was Billy, and now he's he is Billy Gunn. Has he been Billy Gunn prior to this? I'm trying Probably. to remember. I don't know. Anyway. Um, there's an inset promo. Anthony Agogo says he's only in this country, this dump, for the money. Gunn attacks all of them at the entrance and brings QT into the ring. Uh, Austin and Colton get involved and fight Nick Camaroto and Aaron Solo out of the arena. Marshall hits a pile driver for a two count, does the crotch chop. Gun blocks a diamond cutter when Ogogo comes out with a body shot to Billy, diamond cutter, and QT pins Billy uh, for the win. And then after uh, we continue the attack, uh, QT gets the old school wooden chair, and Dustin runs out with a bull rope attacking QT. And the big spot is the return of Nick Camaroto, and the wooden chair is hit over the head of Camaroto by Dustin and Camaroto just no sells it and stares a, a hole through Dustin Rhodes. Yeah. Well, how about that? First, before we get to the match, what did you think of like the promo from a go-go here? Okay. It's like he comes out or he's, sh- he's shown here standing with the rest of the factory and he's draped in this uh, UK union Jack. He says he hates it in America. He's only here to make money. And he's saying all this, in front of a bunch of Americans. Yeah, they're, basically... they're, not, they're not partial to this country either. <laughs> oh, okay. They're self-hating Americans. I think they're all American, at least. I, I could be wrong. But like QT, I can bet you, is is probably an American. And he's just like, yeah, you're going to make your money. Like he has seemingly no self-respect for and, and the whole anti-American thing. I just I feel like comes out of nowhere for a go-go who, who has not really mentioned that part of, it, of the character in the weeks to come, nor do I think he needs it. Because I don't think it fits at all with the rest of the group. Um, it kind of made them all sound r- rather silly. But the match, I, I thought, not all that special. But I do think it needs to be said how amazing Billy Gunn looks for his age. Like, I'm just, you know, 
I'm reminded that I used to watch this guy in the mid nineties, dude. And he like, he still, he still looks like, you know, like, like Billy Gunn. So congrats to him. 57, dude. It's incredible. Yeah. But, you know, clearly I think a go-go is the big project here in the, in the factory. He, I thought this, you know, did the job of spotlighting him, putting heat on him for delivering that gut punch and putting over that finisher and uh camarado to a lesser extent, you know, no selling that chair. So we go to the segment with the the elite inside their trailer, which is being shot by Brandon Cutler, and they announced that they are live. They promote Kenny as the AAA mega heavyweight champion and the soon-to-be impact champion. Matt says that this group is the reason that business went up in Japan, uh taking credit for the Bullet Club shirt and what spawned AEW. It's not all Moxley or all Kingston wrestling. Which would have been, I would totally watch all Kingston wrestling. I'd at least tune in for a few weeks for sure to see what it's all about. Two hours of it? Um, it depends what's what's part of that two hours. Only explosion matches. Kingston, uh, Kingston, all Kingston wrestling. Like, what would that comprise? Like, imagine it was like a lot of promos. I bet him wrestling against himself. Um, sure. Um, well, we have a number of Kingstons. Well, all Kingston wrestling. I mean, maybe maybe Kofi, Kofi would, would do a cameo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, any other Kingstons? I think it would take place in Kingston. You know? <laughs> Ontario. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Doug Gilmore and Don Cherry. This isn't the worst idea. Yeah. <laughs> they challenge Moxley and Kingston to find them in their trailer. And Omega's trying to talk when there's this loud honking outside. And he's so distracted. They cut to Moxley and Kingston in this pickup truck, and they ran this pickup into the trailer. Moxley has a pipe, and they open up the trailer. They go on one side of it, and they're not in there. So they come out. Uh, Moxley throws this pipe into the window, and Kingston is like, this glass almost like shatters in his face. He's like, wait till I'm out of the way. Um, this, this, that did not seem planned. Um that was our segment here. So were they not in the trailer? No, they must have escaped to the back or something. We did a lot. They established they were live. What? What did they have? Like a, like a must have been a sneak entrance at the back or the roof or something. They'll explain. I hope. Okay. All right. Um, but yeah, it, it seems like Omega and Moxley going for the tag titles. That seems to be the direction. Yeah, it does seem like that. I guess. But uh, what? So you, what about Kenny? Like, what's the involvement there? I don't know where they're going with, with Kenny. I mean, they're not... Um, I would assume after after Rebellion on Sunday, we'll get a better sense of where this is going, if they're going to pair him. Like, are they going to run with this belt collector gimmick and find someone else? Are they are they going ahead with, with Hangman Page? Like, that seems early to me. Um, I, I or don't get... or, or is, it, is it going to be Swan, Rich Swan coming in here in the um, trailer now? It'll be his trailer as the new is... AEW champion. Um, yeah, that's always a possibility. You're right. Powerhouse Hobbs versus Christian Cage. Uh, they were talking about Butch Reed early on. Um, Cage got tossed over the guardrail and then Hobbs is in control through the break. Cage fights back. He runs into a spine buster, uh, but hits a top rope splash. And then there's a hip attack in the corner by Hobbs, which they shot at an angle, which, which was not great. Um, like really didn't come close and then got a two count off of it. There's a sleeper into a power slam attempt, but Cage reverses. Kill switch gets the win. 
I thought a pretty decent match, you know, about what I expected. This was a chance for Hobbs to get some TV time, looking like a dominant monster against a veteran, which I think he successfully achieved. He has a very strong presence, carried himself like like he was that monster. And, um, you know, it was like Christian kind of playing your classic underdog, earning that hard-fought victory with, like, a slight mistake from Hobbs. And, you know, it just feels like natural storytelling. I don't really get mad at Hobbs losing to, like, you know, a, a veteran here because there's so much time for Will Hobbs to develop. Now is not the time yet. And whenever it is time for him to get that push, no one's going to remember this loss. Yeah, no, I I, I didn't have any hang-up over that. Um, I, I thought Hobbs looked, you know, he he looked fine in the match. Um, you know, this wasn't going to be at, like, the Kazarian level, nor did anyone expect it to be. Um it was fine, and I think it's good for Hobbs to be working with someone the level of, of Christian and, you know, telling basic story here. Uh, didn't leave a strong impression on me. Starks limps out afterward and stares at Cage, so it looks like that that's probably Christian's next match, and I, I think that could be very good. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, for sure. Um, ultimately, you know, with, like, Brian Cage looking like he's leaving Team Taz, do you see them doing the double cage team up? The double cage what? Team up. Oh, team up. Um, yeah, cage squared. Um, possible, maybe. I guess like Team Taz has a lot of things going on right now too. Like they got the thing with the Dark Order. Maybe Page. Yeah, page, got- page, and Kate. Page, cage, cage. Cage, cage, <laughs> page, page, and cage. <laughs> the, yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm sure you can come up with some great uh, tagline for that match. Despite all my rage, we're still two cages with a page. Well, they have Billy Corgan's number, so I'm sure they can. Next week on the show, uh, Penta versus Orange Cassidy. Chris Statlander versus Penelope Ford. So Kip Sabian will be back, probably to get murdered. The Young Bucks versus Matt and Mike Seidel in an eliminator match. Dustin Rhodes, Billy Gunn, and Lee Johnson versus QT Marshall, Aaron Solo, and Nick Camaroto of The Factory. Brian Cage versus Hangman Page. And the parlay between the Inner Circle and the Pinnacle. Yeah, cool. There was a video for Jade Cargill. Every manager is trying to sign her with comments from Matt Hardy and Vicky Guerrero. Very much in the style of of Randy Savage when he was coming in and all the managers were making their case to manage him. And then he introduced Elizabeth to surprise everyone. But Jade says she doesn't need a manager. And if they want to sign her, they need to make a hell of an offer. I think it's going to be Jake. I think he's <laughs> trying to negotiate right now. He's trying to fill out the... Um... Then I, I, to... I want that negotiation to air on television. I want to know. I want to see that proposal acted out. He's making loans. He's trying to work deals with all the, the, the uh, you know, shoe companies. He's on the phone, like, just crunching the numbers. He's, like, getting all serious. He's, like, running the numbers, and then all of a sudden he gets distracted and goes, <laughs> what the hell is that shit? Is this chocolate or something? <laughs> what? It's beyond the mad scene. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> I thought those were like universal. Uh, I'm sorry. Lines. You lost me there. Hey, um, so so what is this leading up to? I mean, it, it has to end with some sort of managerial debut, right? And who do you think the it way, is? 
my immediate go-to was like the Savage story that this is a way to introduce a new manager, but I don't know if I would be advocating for yet another manager in AEW. But I mean, you kind of look at, well, we've got enough of this area and then they just stockpile. So, I mean, anything's possible, I guess. I guess so, yeah. Who's kind of left, you know? I can't really see Vicky being the one, you know? Like, I don't think they would have had her appear here if, if that was the case. Um, anyway, I'm sure there are options. Main event, TNT Championship between Darby Allin and Jungle Boy with Sting and Luchasaurus ringside. Uh, Excalibur uh, did a big plug for one championship, not just one championship's coming up next. He listed all the fights taking place, and this was a a larger plug for one championship, which last week uh, did much better than the first week. This is their third of four events following AEW, so they did, they did a much better number last week. So we will see if they uh, keep uh, a significant portion of this AEW audience, and you know what that AEW audience is this week. Yeah, we'll see. They must have heard the your criticism. Well, they hey, if they did and they took it to heart, I'll take credit for the number. Uh, Darby avoids the snare trap, gets to the rope quickly. They're trading chops. Jungle Boy tackles them both going over the barricade. We go through the break. Jungle Boy uses a bridging German kick out, holds on for a tiger suplex, gets another two count. And they note that one man has a dinosaur in their corner. The other has an icon. Jim Ross states, I'll take the icon. No, 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 no. One corner has the dinosaur. The other has the emo face paint daddy. <laughs> the emo is, face paint daddy. The best nickname. JR, oh, I'll still take him. Darby did a coffin drop onto the edge of the apron. They're both on the floor. Darby's in first. And then with the help of Luchasaurus, Darby gets in. So Sting goes and confronts the dinosaur and says, I'm your bitch emo face wearing daddy. <laughs> And they fight to the back. Jungle Boy hits a big lariat and brainbuster. This guy's just the greatest babyface. There's a sliding D from behind, gets the snare trap applied, and Darby fights to the rope. His selling was great. Uses a surfboard on Darby, once again applies the snare trap, and Darby has to resort to gouging the eyes to escape. There's these big slaps from Jungle Boy as he's getting upset, and with that, Jungle Boy makes one mistake, and he gets caught with the Last Supper. And Jungle Boy loses to Darby Allen. Uh, I thought this was a wonderful match. Anytime you pair like Darby with you know some of these other kind of like next generation guys like a Jungle Boy or a Sammy Guevara or even like an MJF, like there's this feeling you're watching something special because you know these guys are destined to be the leaders of the company in the future. I thought this was no different. You know, we continue to see great progression and maturity in both performers. And I thought we saw a lot of it here. I love the way they started off with all the mat wrestling, kind of playing with our ex- expectations a little bit, but showing off their well-roundedness with a bit of slower-paced action. But, you know, ultimately, we're here to see these guys, like, do their incredible high-flying and stunts. And I thought um, they more than delivered on all that. Really good main event. And I love the finish. This was very much presented as a stalemate that could have gone either way until Darby was able to kind of pull out that rarely used, you know, ace up his sleeve in the Last Supper. So he didn't dominate Jungle Boy. He just happened to catch him tonight, which I think ultimately results in like elevated statuses for both guys. Yeah. And I mean, if you saw the road to it's like the story is this is Jungle Boy's second attempt at the TNT title after losing to Cody last year uh, that they leaned on. And I I think it's like this. 
this long story with Jungle Boy. Like, he is not ready. He's not at the championship level yet. Uh, and came closer in this one than he did with Cody, but still coming up short, which was kind of the story they did with Darby in those series of matches with Cody. So I I think ultimately this match, it's going to be a very interesting uh, quarter to see how well this does. Darby has been a big difference maker with television numbers, and I think that this will continue that that trend. And I think that's it's a really great sign when, you know, you can headline with two people that, you know, D- Darby had that evolve exposure. But for a lot of people, this company is the first time you're seeing these two. And to have your main event with a 28 and a 23-year-old, I think it's really refreshing to see that. And the fact that there is a growing audience uh, for these these rising stars. Do you feel like we're far away from like the a, a, a period where somebody like a Darby Allen could headline a pay-per-view for AEW? I think that it's, I think it's certainly doable that you could, if you were building to like a big gimmick match with, with Darby, I think you can, I, I, I think it's more of, um, like I see headlining a pay-per-view to me, it's, that is much more contingent on just what your fan base is going to accept live and making sure that it's, it can follow what's coming be- before it, which I certainly think a Darby match can, whereas television, like that's to me a much more calculated decision based on your star power and retaining an audience that I almost think like it's, it's more of a feather in his cap to be headlining these, these TV shows and doing the numbers he's doing versus going on last. That's kind of like a status thing on pay-per-view, but the answer to your question is yes, I think you could Mm -hmm. with the right, with the right feud, the right program that necessitates it. And the right, you know, the world title challenge for, for him. And it's a statement for your TNT title too, to do that. If there's, a month when it makes sense and you put your TNT title up there where it's, it's on par with your top championship. Perhaps after the match, Scorpio sky and Ethan page attack. Ethan hits the ego's edge to Allen. Lance Archer makes the save. There's a double low blow to Archer prompting sting to come back. Emo face paint. Daddy clears the ring and they stare down sky and page to end the show yeah so it looks like what what is this um archer and, and darby taking on sky and page is that the match yeah you've got you've kind of got um darby attached with archer and sting and then scorpio and ethan page so either you find another heel or yeah you do the straight tag which the way this went off it felt more like archer and sting together teaming up you could be that too. Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. that's maybe if you hold that off. Do you see Sting as more valuable to put on TV for his next match or the pay-per-view? Um if it's a three-way or sorry, if it's a six-man or um, let's just I, say if it's a tag. If it's a tag, I mm, I think more valuable on TV personally. I think that's their bigger importance now is is TV matches. And I don't know if you look at Sting as just a pay-per-view attraction or putting him on free television for his first match on TV that I think you could certainly do do a number for that. I think that Sting will mean something wrestling on TV. Yeah, I can't really say personally I'm all that excited to see Sting in like a straight-up wrestling match anymore like the cinematic thing was i think one thing but to to promote a straight up tag team wrestling match 
doesn't really have my curiosity um, as much for a pay-per-view that I'm going to be spending money on where I'm expecting top-level athleticism in, in action. Um, I don't have as much curiosity personally, but I, I might be in the minority. I really enjoyed the main event tonight. Um, I, I think they are building blood and guts pr- pretty well so far. It's it's coming very quick, the fact that it's in two weeks. I will say on this show, there were a lot of angles on this show that a lot of them, by the end of the show, how many are you retaining? Like there was, you know, following every match, there was something. And I think that it's it was a lot that you were throwing out over these two hours well it's a fast moving show you know um that that is completely true like this there is zero downtime as i'm watching this like this requires my undivided attention for two hours to keep up with and i'm not saying that in a negative way either yeah if i was just watching the show not having to take notes i think it would i think it would be enjoyable but man taking notes while like (laughs) keeping up with this thing and like trying to convey my thoughts and thinking about like what I want to say it it actually is a bit of a frustrating experience I have to say just because there's so much going on that I have to like pay attention while thinking about and typing about something else at the same time Um, can you imagine if we were doing nitro back in the day I just wouldn't like I would give up you know like I I, and even like having to cover this and NXT I don't know how some podcasts were able to do it and still come up with like you know like the analysis that they do, but like, man, I just, this, this one single show is, is a, you know, very demanding show and, uh, they try to cram it with a whole lot. So that's, you know, their style. And I think it's worked out for them so far. You're competing with everything, including sleep. You don't want people to fall asleep. That's competition. All electricity is competition, John. That's true. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. Let's go to the forum forum.postwrestling.com where you can always leave your feedback after raw smackdown aew pay-per-views everything tonight dynamite gets an 8.14 out of 10 do you want to start off the feedback yeah let's go to johnny who says man dynamite was amazing this week starks is so good i'm waiting for them to pull the trigger on him also really waiting for hook's debut feels like the company are really building it up yeah forget sting it's it's hook's debut that is going to be the quote-unquote hook that week Pent, very good. Penta wearing a Batman version of his mask, and it's funny with Sue being introduced and becoming a massive babyface for the fans. It's easy heat with an insult from the heels. The improvements of Ty since joining AEW has been incredible, and now the build for Sheeta versus Britt begins. All right. Uh, we go to Jesse. So an overall good show tonight. They're setting up Hangman Page to be Kenny's opponent at Double or Nothing, which should be a great match and a good story leading up to the match with the Elite kicking him out months ago. Now Hangman being the only person who can stop them. Are Penta and Lance Archer heels or faces? The Death Triangle are baby faces, but Penta seems to be more of a heel, and Lance saved Darby and Jungle Boy tonight. The Moxley Kingston segment with the Elite was bad and confusing. Was there another tape that was supposed to be played showing the Elite running out of the trailer? I thought it made both Moxley and Kingston look pretty stupid. I, too, was kind of confused by that, where the Elite had gone. Because we had established that this is a live shot inside the trailer, and then a pickup truck smashed into the trailer. Well, um, trapdoor. Trapdoor. Okay, I... I've never owned a trailer, so I, I don't know what the, um, the possibility of that existing in a vehicle are, but I guess maybe maybe Wardlow will explain it. Sure, yeah. Um, he also says, is Blood and Guts 
I'm seeing Blood and Guts being similar to War Games with the two rings surrounded by steel cages, but I'm sure AEW will have some different things in the match to make it different. What are some of your guesses as to what they do in this match to make it different from War Games? Mm, I think it'll be more traditional War Games instead of like... um. No, I think it'll be exactly I think like I, I would imagine they're going to put a roof on it for the reason that people did not like when NXT took the roof off, even though it gave them more possibilities in the match to do stunts coming off of it. Sure, maybe. Yeah, I don't really know. We go to Muggin, who says, A solid show. The two title matches were very good. Sheeta Conti, in particular, had me on the edge with near falls in the home stretch. In my opinion, Britt Baker has waited in the wings long enough, and I think she should get the title match at double or nothing. Hangman versus Starks was strong, and the inner circle pinnacle promos were terrific. Jericho was a little off his game with the show tune bit, however. Santana showed good poise as well. And Kate writes in, uh, I'm certain you will have mentioned this already, but what the hell is supposed to be going on with AEW and Impact? They've had weeks to build up the match between Omega and Swan, and they've, they've done almost nothing. They could have at least played the clip of the press conference. It's an exciting story and explains why they haven't moved to establish a clear opponent for Kenny. At this point, I'm kind of hoping that Swan wins just for the chaos it would cause. Now that I have that off my chest, this was a really good show. It's very clear that Hangman is the top contender for the title, but I get the feeling that he will continue to be hesitant to actually ask for the match because of his own insecurities. Paige continues to be my favorite character in wrestling. I love the women's championship. Both Ty and Sheeta are excellent in the ring, but I thought they built a good story with Ty pushing the champion so hard that Sheeta started to get quite rough. I felt like she was playing a low-key heel for the latter part of the match. The walk-on by Britt at the end was exactly what it needed to be. We know what was coming, so we didn't need a big explanation. Uh, she ends it by stating, I really hope that this is the last time I see a chair shot directly to someone's head. Yes, Nick Camaroto looked like a monster, and yes, the chair was gimmicked and made of light wood, but it's something that's best left in the past. I agree with Kate on that notion. We go up next to Glenn, who says... I'm not a weekly viewer, but Jungle Boy Darby Allen is one of the few dream matches AEW has for me. The match was very good, but I could do without the shenanigans. As for the rest of the show, that inner circle promo was atrocious. MJF is great as always. The women shined, and Powerhouse looked good. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for the feedback tonight. Just one more. Oh, there's another one? Are we on the same thing? I have nothing yeah, below. Just, just refresh. I had to add it from the other thread. Okay. You don't see it? Uh... Okay, okay, here we go. Brian? Uh, okay, Brian writes, I'm on vacation in Florida, and I was at the show live tonight. Overall, it was a great experience. Looked to be between three to 400 people in the crowd, not including the wrestlers. Most people were wearing masks, but would pull them down at points. Ricky Starks landed on top of his head from that German suplex, and everybody thought he broke his neck. Happy to see him pop up. Dark Order was over every time they came out. The people in my section hated Austin Gunn every time he started a chant and chanted, shut up Austin at him. They were happy to see him get taken out by the factory. Moxley and Kingston got the loudest pop of the night, even though they did not appear live. Crowd was 50-50 for Hobbs and Christian. Surprised to hear booze for Christian. I don't know if it will come across on TV, but there was a guy in the audience named Sal with a replica TNA title that Justin Roberts would interact with during the commercial breaks. And the TNT. crowd was... Uh, TNT. A replica TNT title. Yeah. Um, that Justin Roberts would interact with during the commercial breaks and the crowd was chanting his name uh, throughout the night for whatever reason. Yeah, that did not come across. Uh, Surprised there were no tag matches on the show. Sting gave a rare promo after the cameras cut off, but it was cringe-inducing when he tried to start an AE dub chant. 
Lance Archer had Sting's bat and was teasing hitting Darby with it before giving it back to Sting. Hey, double. How, come on. From the emo face paint daddy, I would cheer anything the man wanted to be. Too. Taz comes out, just cuts him off. Uh, all right, cool. Thank you, everybody, for your feedback tonight. A lot of people watch the show, it sounded like. That's right. So with 11 minutes to go uh, until Earth Day, uh, we are going to bid everyone a, a goodbye. Thank you for tuning in. Again, Friday, uh, I'll be... Uh, posting a show with Brandon Thurston, so you can look forward to that uh, sometime Friday afternoon going through the WWE's uh, first quarter earnings report. And then Friday night, Wei Ting is going to be with Kate from Montreal for Rewind to SmackDown. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited to be joined by Kate. And also Saturday, of course, Falcon and Winter Soldier finale and also UFC. So uh, a lot. And the Rocky Mountain a Picture Show. So a ton of uh, uh, stuff to keep you occupied throughout the weekend at postwrestling.com. All right, that's going to wrap things up. Thank you to everybody for listening to Rewind to Dynamite.